You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this installment of The Check-In features Muggsy McFly from episode 98. Muggsy is a fashion designer and founder of the clothing line Signed by McFly. Now, when we first met Muggsy, he had recently opened his retail clothing store, Clout Control, which of course had to temporarily close its doors during the pandemic. But Muggsy saw another need and seized the opportunity. He started mass producing fashionable face masks. But that wasn't the only thing that kept his business afloat. There was still a demand for Muggsy's clothing line, a demand which he met by any means necessary, including personally delivering orders to his customers. Muggsy's reach continued to grow. And earlier this year, the Recording Academy came calling. And signed by McFly, the brand was hand-selected to be included in the official Grammys gift bag. Needless to say, Muggsy's business not only survived the pandemic, but continues to thrive. And he's preparing for its next chapter. So without further ado, please enjoy. Muggsy, welcome back to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for being back. We've been seeing some of the amazing artistic stuff you're doing online and some of the opportunities that you've had. So it's great to have you back on the show, even though you've been getting all this press. you everywhere. It's a part of life now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. Press is good, right? Always. Um, so I, I looked up, I have to like go back and look at the actual episode number yeah. for, for each guest because we're so in, we're in so deep now. I find that the episodes actually took place like farther back than I realized. It all yeah. feels like last month and it could be, you know, a year or two. How long ago was it? Do you know? It was episode 98 and we are on, by the time this comes out, it'll be probably episode 176. Wow. So yeah, we're talking about like going on two years ago for sure. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Damn, that's, <laughs> that's unreal. Yes, life flies. So when we met the last time you were... Already knee deep in your clothing line, we talked a lot about Cloud Control, the retail store uh, out there in White Plains and all the wonderful things that you were doing. Yeah. If you think about your life from, you know, 2019 going into, or say 2018 going through 2019, how did the business evolve? How did you evolve? From 18 and 19? Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Okay. Well, well, Cloud Control opened in 19. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like it was everything was just ideas and planning and prep. So for it to actually, you know, come to fruition, it's night and day because, you know, all the expectations are kind of out the window. And of course, everybody says, you know, the grand opening is one thing, but like surviving it is a whole other thing. So it was just it's a lot. It's so many points. I, I couldn't even pinpoint one, but it was just a surreal experience. Yeah. And, you know, we so we talked about the retail location when you came on the last time. And I've been talking about this with people who come on the show about the realities of brick and mortar, not just keeping a business afloat, but also like the fact that it's an actual retail space that you have to pay a commercial lease on. So what what really drove you? And we're recapping a little bit because we talked about this a bit in the last episode. But what drove you to go brick and mortar when we're living in such a digital world where everybody's kind of focused on, I'm just going to do my online store and be done? Well, I feel like, um, well, one, 
everybody's so infatuated with like the social media and the internet. And it's like, there's a deeper connection. That's where all it, it all comes from. And that's where mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I go outside. I'm, I feel like most, the average person, their social media and their Instagram is better than the actual person. I don't think I live like that. I think you meet me, I'm way better. And I feel like everybody posts their highlights and stuff and don't share the bad times. And I feel like I do everything. And I feel like my energy and my story to witness it, to actually give you that experience is a little deeper. So I'd rather have the brick and mortar where you could come in and see what I was thinking and where I was going and changes in my emotions and my experiences is better. It's like you could watch, you could play a video game, but going to the theme park, it's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. So thinking, because we know we have the world during COVID for business and then we have the world before, and then, you know, we also have now coming out of it. But for you, from a commercial perspective, how was the store doing pre-COVID? Pre-COVID, before COVID hit, it was it was, it was pretty good. Um, um, I know that May 31st, 2019 was the grand opening. So I was just getting into almost a year before COVID. So I was getting used to the seasons, knowing why, you know, retail do these, um, keep up with holidays and stuff. Being online is one thing. You can do whatever, but like having to keep up with what the mall is doing and what more so the regular consumer likes to do during Halloween, Black Friday, Thanksgiving, Christmas and everything is experience. Like you got to really, you'll make and break your business if you don't keep up with those things. But online is like, yeah, if I feel like missing something, it's fine. So what does that look like having to keep up with the, what did that look like for cloud control, having to keep up with the seasons? It was kind of, it was actually challenging because now me, myself, I don't do that. And most of the brands don't really look to do that because we're independent, smaller brands. So, you know, Macy's could change the whole thing. Sears could change the whole thing for the action, for like whatever. It's just kind of like, getting. I actually had to be like a little witty and finesse and think of ways that it would work. Like, you know, so like even Black Friday, like uh, the retail stores, they their markup is so high that they could just do 50, 60, 80 percent. But me and my little guys, I can't sell this stuff for that. At a, uh, I'll be selling at a loss. So to keep up with that, I had to get like fancy and think about ways that I could keep up with them. And like having on Halloween, I just had, I just told my staff that they could dress up any festive way they want. I had candy. I already had the games and stuff. So I got, I was able to keep up with the kids and everything. Probably better than the average person regardless, but you really just got to figure it out on the fly. So in that first year of sort of figuring it out, learning the lessons, did you feel like you hit some kind of stride though? Like this was the right decision. I can keep the whole thing afloat. It's sustainable. Yeah, I did because it just got, um, well, with my, at my regular consumer, I was finally like teaching them like, oh, come here, come here. You don't got something, I'm out of town which was the one of the main focuses of having the stores. Like, ah, you can't get to me, but the store is the next best thing. Um, people were finally doing that. I was gaining clientele for people that didn't know of me, of course, because they just walking through the mall like, oh, what's this dope store? It looks great. Don't know none of these brands. So I was really getting to the point where it's like, I, I'm not just a new guy. I'm the cool guy. And I was enjoying it. So you're enjoying it. We all know, top of 2020, the news reports start coming out. Like there, there's something popping up over in Asia is coming here. And if people listen to these check-ins regularly, they know that I've said that I was on this, the kind of the side of the spectrum that was like, oh, this is a bit scary, but I mean, we might be home for a couple of weeks. No big deal. When you first started hearing about this really serious illness, 
that it was in the U.S., what were you feeling both personally and as a business owner? So personally, you know, I'm pretty free, so I didn't really worry too much. My biggest concern was probably the store. The brand alone is like, uh, you know, I wasn't really too thinking about it. Like expenses for the brand alone in the site is low maintenance, but the commercial spot is the rent. Then I have a, a DTG machine that needs maintenance basically every day. And I'm thinking like, how am I going to be able to do that if malls closed and I can't go? So when I first heard of it, I kind of panicked and I had to like find a way for the mall to allow me to have access to come at least a few times a week just to maintain it. Because it was, I couldn't move that machine. And I had to worry about people, the other brands' clothing as well. So it was something I had to figure out ASAP. March was tough, 2020. So you, so did the, when did the the mall shut down for you? Because we all know everything was closed at at some point or another. So basically, I know like March 10th, 11th, like like, like right there, whatever, like March 8th, 9th, they started talking about it. And it was like, oh, whatever, whatever. And I had an event planned for the store. That's another thing that bothered me. I had a lot of events and it was just catching steam. Like everything, like I'd always have something on the calendar. And I remember, I think it was March 13th. Like they kept changing their mind. They'll tell us, oh, the hour's going to go to this. Um, We might be closed this day. Then they just hit me with the, yo, this is the last day if it being open. Boom. And it was like, whoa. Like the news, you, you really have to be sticking to all updates. And it was kind of tough right there. And then they just hit us with the, yo, we're closed till further notice. We don't know when. And did you have staff at that time? I had staff. So um, it was kind of, it wasn't as difficult because I, I didn't worry about it. I'm a smaller guy. So it's not like I paid leave and stuff. So I concerned. But one girl's younger. She lives with her mom. It's cool. And the other girl, she just was responsible enough. So she had it to take, she combined herself at the time. So it, I didn't have to worry too much. Um, I still paid them for that whole week, like fully. But then after that, it was just like, Whatever, and then unemployment came, so it was like, oh, all right, whatever. Everybody had unemployment, so it was like, whatever. So I was like, all right, cool. I ain't gotta, I ain't gotta worry about y'all like that. So, so one of the things that has been coming up a lot, and not only just people coming on the show, but even talking to business owners uh, separately from the show, is these commercial leases and rent. You know, being locked in. Everybody who knows anything about a commercial lease, you're generally locked in these terms, like you owe them your firstborn child if you're trying to get out of it. Um, but this is the first time we've been in a situation where the economy literally came to a grinding halt in a way where no, nobody, very few people could pay their bills in the way that they could before. So how did you manage having a lease on a commercial space in a mall and them telling you like, we're just closed till further notice, like good luck? It was really difficult because it was like, yo, how do I, when, I, when it first happened, I, I mean, it was March, it was early. So I paid that already. And then it was like, whoa, what do we do? But I'm not going to lie. I was blessed because the more they hold it down immediately, they said, like, before it was going, I'm like, all right, so what we do my rent? And they're like, you know what? Just don't worry about rent. Mm. I like, cool. But I still had to worry about, I think everyone basically, all my bills basically said, I'm good, except my internet. And I really was mad at the guy. And I'm like, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to like, like, there's no more. You know that. And then it's like, they can't. I have to keep paying the card and hold everything. And it wasn't until like maybe halfway through the year, maybe like towards the end of the year where the, the internet guy, it's not like he wasn't still selling the bill. He just gave us longer terms to pay it. Like instead of 30, you can wait 90. And it's like, bro, but why am I paying? I don't need, I'm not there. 
Like, bro. So that was tough. So what was your focus when the store was was closed? Obviously, wheeling and dealing to try to get the bill suspended. Um, but you have an online presence as well. So yeah. with respect to revenue and actually selling inventory, did you just double down on the online piece? Where did you put your energy? So what happened now is that since the store has everyone, it was a little hard, it's a little harder to sell someone else's stuff without them seeing it because people just know me and the brand. Mm-hmm. But kind of the whole idea of the brand kind of died. I mean, the store kind of died down. So what ended up happening is now, magically, I don't know, a lot of people was just, people were home and they got to creating. They got to, you know how much businesses I helped start during the pandemic? It was surreal. So first thing was graphic design, which is my bread and butter. I don't really need, I don't need this computer right here to do that. And then people wanted to print stuff for some reason. Like one of my guys, he had like a COVID line where he would, put like famous people in mask and sell it. And it was work. It was like, we were having orders every week and I was allowed to go, in, I was allowed to go into the store rent-free, not paying electricity on certain days. So I was like, wait, I'm going to maintenance the machine, but I could print. So I was like, oh, this works. I can use my machine basically for free besides the ink and I'm good. So that helped just keeping my money in my pocket so I can make sure that, all right, if I have to do anything with the store or pay the, pay the um, internet. I got that. Then people would, I don't know why, why, but I guess because all the stores closed, people weren't closed still. Mm-hmm. Maybe like right around April, May, a splurge for like, I need to get dressed still happened. And I have a stupid amount of inventory and it came to a point where I had no shorts or no hoodies or no sweatpants at all for months. Like I had none. It didn't exist. It also, and the online thing just was really working. Because people couldn't come and see me or come to the store. So I'd be like, yo, go on the site, order it, and I'll meet you. Because I'm everybody who's scared, I'll, my friends can tell you, I'm like, I am legend. I was the only person that never really stayed inside. I never, because as soon as it shut down that same week, I had to go to the mall. And I'd be like showing people like the highway's empty, the mall is completely empty, and all this stuff is shut down. I'd give them live reports when some people was in their house for two weeks without coming outside. But I had to, I had to maintain these businesses. So while I'm outside doing this stuff, they're like, oh, I want this shirt. I want this. And I'm like, yo, I got to go outside later. I'll bring it to you. Like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, I put on a mask. I'm like, I, w- I wasn't really afraid. I'm like, okay. So I won because I was the one the one guy still selling. So the Simon McFly did amazing. Like, amazing numbers. So were you on a targeted marketing campaign? Like, how were people finding you? Or was this like a returning customer base? What was driving uh, the discovery? Because we all know there's so much focus on Black-owned businesses, so many people popping up with with clothing lines, et cetera. What was driving these folks directly to sign by McFly? That's a good, that's a real good question. I don't know because I got a lot of new customers. Like I had old ones, but I feel like it was word of mouth. Like, you know, if you want to go out or you want to close, like people were having their own little private gatherings and stuff, or, go, or at the time going on vacation because that was like the only thing they could do. They just leave, have to leave the city. So I'd sell somebody something and they'll tell somebody else, like, yo, my guy, he'll, he'll drop it to you or he'll ship it. And me and USPS had a great relationship because I was still able to, like my packages was getting it when everybody else, Amazon Prime was taking weeks upon weeks. So my shipping was good and my customer service dropping it to you was good. So I was like, I need something, just the guy. And it just came. And then, what major thing I know for a fact changed, and that was in May. And no one, I, I, to think about it, sounds so silly now, but I never 
post content, like selling my product on my page till last year, May. Mm. Everything I ever did was in my story or on the brand page. I never posted actual, yo, I have this for sale on my page because I was just never a fan of it. But um, the mask was the first thing that I did that with. So were you like, were you actually making the masks or just printing them? I, I need to understand the secrets here. All right. So I, this mask thing will always be huge to me because I, I, I realized that if you really want to succeed, you got to be like, well, you got to be able to adapt. And that mask thing changed was the reason why I survived COVID the way I did. So I was real mindful. I used to watch. So I have friends all over the, the, the world and places. So one of my friends is in LA and I watched what happened with him and it would happen to us. And it must happen like two or three times straight. And I was like, okay, paying attention. I, I tried to hit up one of my factories. They weren't working. Then one told me they're working and I was ordering something. And he said, yo, you want to make masks? And I'm like, we probably won't be locked down for that long. I don't see no reason to really need the mask right now. I don't know. You know, it's not a requirement. Why people want to buy a mask if it's not required. So let's say he had the conversation with me Monday, Wednesday. My guy posts a picture. I got to thank him. I don't think he even knows this. And he posts a picture and he lives in a complex. He says, no one allowed on this complex without a mask. Mandatory. And I was like, at least get it. We're going to get it too. And the next day I ordered the mask and maybe four days next, they announced mask required. And I was like, and the mask probably came within like two weeks. And I made 500 units. I made a fancy little, um, I mean, like a fancy little gif of the mask flashing back and forth. Um, 500 pieces, most pieces I've ever ordered of anything in my life. Well, no, no, no. Well, clothing-wise, the most pieces. And I didn't have money at the time, remember, and there's nothing selling. And it sold out in three days. And I was like, well, here we are. But the amazing thing about this, I had it done in a factory, and I thought to myself, okay, the guy's telling me like two-something a mask. It's like a thousand-something. I don't know when money's going to come back in. The bank account is low because nothing has been selling. I've been just paying bills, keeping up. So I'm like, you know what? For me to basically use half of what I got on this is a gamble. All right, whatever, I'll do it. What happened is it sold out fast. I got new customers because everybody wanted masks, but they bought they bought the mask and they bought clothes. Mm. Bought clothes. If three masks, three outfits. So, And I also pay attention to the market. Mask was going for $20, $15. I sold my mask for $10. Just because I thought to myself, okay, when they wear his hats, I, I use my mental. I'm like, okay, when I look at someone, I, I normally look at shoes first, then I look at their they face. And the hat is the first thing I see. And I was like, you know what? The mask is going to be the new dad hat. Because when I look at you, for you to talk, I'm going to look at your mouth. That's mm-hmm. yeah, my logo there. And I went, and it worked amazingly. And I used that money, doubled it up. I'm, I'm basically charging four times the, the amount. So that thousand went to 4,000 and some change. Bought more masks, bought more clothes, and it just went and it didn't stop. So were you using factories just here in the U.S.? Because that's the, the issue that other people are having who no. have distributors from abroad. Hell no. I had to use overseas. Everything over here was shut. It was done. That's mm-hmm. why even me printing custom, I won because I was the only person that people knew that was doing custom shirts, doing deliveries, and I had inventory. So I was on the last man standing, really. So you were getting stuff in from abroad. Yep. And selling it here. And then also, even with the blank shirts, I have one of my people that is in the South Bronx that would allow you to come pick it up. And COVID came there. It's like, you know what? You pay for your stuff and we leave it outside for you. 
So we just no contact. So I didn't break no rules and it was, it worked. And I was able, if I want to get a hundred shirts today, I get a hundred shirts a day. If I need to print a hundred shirts, give me a day and a half. I can get you a hundred shirts done. So mm. I was my own factory. So it really worked out. So it works out. You're making moves, making money, able to keep the lights on. The Grammys. <laughs> you just whoop. Yeah, like let's let's just go right to it, right? So people are buying masks, they're buying clothes as well. Buying everything. Everything's buying, but then you get an opportunity to be included in the Grammys gift bag. Wow, that was how did that come about? Well, um, the people that actually handpick what goes in the Grammys, um, they reached out and you know, they told me it sounded like a good opportunity. And I'm like, all right, let's see how it goes. And the press for it was amazing. The turnout, the people that bought. I'm still waiting for like to see what life, you know, the clothing gets and see pictures and stuff. Cause it's hard to keep up. It's so much high high level, high level um people that I don't follow all those people. So it's just people sending me stuff. So I get it here and there, but the energy was amazing. And it was just like surreal to be like somebody from the Bronx to even like participate in the Grammys in any shape or form like that. So did you, do you know how they found you? Um, I, I believe it was Instagram. Like, you know, people have seen some of the articles and stuff I've done and that's it. They never really said anything specifically. Like people just, I have my email, my number in my bio and they, Boop, just write me. So they sent me the email and then the rundown of what I needed to do. And I'm like, sure, I'm with it. And did it. So you took a different approach and decided I'm not sending product. I'm going to provide a gift card. Yeah, because I feel like it's, you know, one one shoe doesn't fit all feet, you know. So it's like if you want this promotion at the same time, it's okay. Like, come check me out, see what I'm about. Boom. Now I got something for you. Now if I just gave y'all all masks or gave y'all all one size fit all hats or something. I don't think it works the same way. But now if I get you to look and pick something you like, better experience. So why not? I basically give you anything you want with that than just give you something, one thing you might not like. Because now if you use the gift card, you're more than likely going to wear that because you liked it. You picked it. But did you have any anxiety as a small business owner passing out these gift cards to everybody that that is getting a Grammy gift ba- gift card or gift bag, and then realizing, okay, now I gotta fulfill these orders that I'm not making money off of. I do and I don't, because end of the day, I feel like I kind of feel out of love with money, like I told you in the last interview. <laughs> so it was more so on value. Like I built up a lot, and then after the after the fact when this came about, I still had more inventory. I feel like I had enough inventory to carry it anyway. So it was like, you know what? I know the conversion is if it's a hundred people. It's probably be 10% would be good, 20% would be average. So I wasn't too afraid. So I'm like, yeah. When they started coming in, I was like, whoa, whoa, all right. And when they started eating, I was like, ah, I could do this. All right, cool. The first two, three days, it was like, uh, I gotta keep sending this stuff out and it's on the house. But you know, I just feel like that value will always come back to me somehow, some way. And the press for it alone, like I had a lot of press in the last year, but the Grammys alone probably was half of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it will bring me opportunities and it'll, it'll be a part of my journey. And did you have folks post about whatever they got? Anybody that really surprised you? Um, I can't remember. No, no, I've seen people order that really surprised me. Like the actual person that runs the Grammys ordered. Like mm. the actual person. Like these behind the scenes people. I can't find it on social media to see what they... I, I gotta find it. But that 
that actually stunned me more than anything because I'm like, okay, you know, performance and stuff like that. But that crap of corporate higher ups liking my stuff, that intrigued me because I wouldn't expect that. Like, I know that's like what I, my demographic. And then I think like the VP of CBS or something like that also ordered something. Those two really stuck out. I was like, whoa. What is the VP of CBS order from Steinbaum? Exactly. And it was, it was one of, it was a fly fit too. And I'm like, <laughs> check you out. Like, I, 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 and I, and you know, it's funny. It probably meant more than me because I'm like, when he wears that, I'm like, oh, he not wearing suit and tie. What are you wearing? I like that. And I like that. And I'm always like, I play the long game. So I'm like, that logo on his chest being seen once or twice or even in his house, when I finally get to that area, it's like, wait, I know that logo from somewhere. And I feel like I just get a little real estate in your mind. And you know, um, don't make sense. So recently, um, that's actually a great segue. Recently, I read Dapper Dan's book. Uh, and I don't know if you've, if you've read the memoir yet. Yes, uh, definitely. Uh, great, great book, right? I actually, How- I actually got the book and met him same time. Which was wow. So, you know, he tells, I won't, I won't give away the brand, but he tells, you know, a story in the book of a major white owned brand that came and wanted to collaborate with him. And he was like, I'm good. No, thank you. Now that, so that story about somebody who doesn't really fit into your normal demographic, actually ordering from the brand and latching onto it. We all know as your star rises, um, it, it becomes less counterculture Yes. And and more appropriated, right? And yeah. more opportunities for what people might consider mainstream um, and not as urban. Yeah. If those opportunities presented themselves to you, would you be open to them? It depends on what it is. Like, I know who I am. Like, I always want to be honest. Like, I really just want to be me. And I really want to uplift my people, where I'm from, who I am, all my culture, the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't align with that perfectly... I'm not doing it. Like, I, I remember someone said, would I be, even though pay, I think Payless is done now, but people ask me, would I ever be in Payless? And I'm like, Simon McFly couldn't be in Payless because that's not where I, 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 I have a stigma growing up of it. Like, you know, we, you're going to beat somebody else, beat somebody up if they told you you got your outfit from Payless. I can't do that. Kmart and these places, they do great numbers, but it's deep in the numbers. Like, I sell cool and who I am. So I always tell people like, if, I got the opportunity. I'd probably make another brand just for them because I have the capabilities, but my actual brand, no. Like, I can't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't sell out. Like it has to make sense. It has to be, you know, something that I won't, I won't damage the brand after that major hype. You don't want to go up there and then fall flat on your face. It will mm-hmm. hurt you. It will help you. Right. And I think too, oftentimes people start to make moves out of panic because so many folks are entering the fashion brand, right? And and the urban space is popular. It's a target, what have you. It's actually really, and I tell this to other brands, it's really easy to enter the space. You just print two, three shirts and post it. And that's the thing I hate about the internet is that I could just have one shirt on, show it to you, and I have a brand now. I just get the good content. And now I have people, I see people make one, shoot it, Make you pay for it. It's a pre-order and you wait two, three weeks. And it's like, they don't have a brand. They just got your money and printed stuff. Like I will sit on stuff. I've had stuff that haven't been out for years that won't catch wind until later. And I just have to believe in it to that extent. And the thing about the whole branding is that a real brand, you know, you have to build that goodwill and that longevity and that good name. And people don't be wanting to do that. They're just looking at the bottom line immediately. And when you do that, you're going to lose. 
So what really motivates you to stick with something that may not catch fire for four or five years in such a like microwave mentality kind of culture, particularly with fashion? Well, what I've learned is that the average person is not fashionable and the average person don't know what they want. The consumer don't know what you want until you tell them what you want, what, what, what they want. So I feel like when I make something for the most part, since I'm thinking so forward that you got to catch up. So, or I have to sell it to you a different way. Like the shirt I have on now, I'm actually bringing that back. But this shirt was from my very first collection, mm. 2013. And then I actually seen like Louis make something just like it last year. And I'm like, yo, I did that seven years ago. What the, like, huh? And it really caught me. And I'm like, nah, I love that shirt. And people have asked me that. And it's funny, I posted it. Like I do little things and like, test people sometimes, but I was going to bring it back regardless. And my friend was like, yo, that's the best shirt I ever had. I'm like, don't worry, you're going to get another chance. Mm-hmm. I just, so that's really, that's really all it is. Like, I just really want, I know what I want and no one can tell me anything. I trust this fashion thing. You have to have a good taste level and, you know, strong, tough skin to like deal with all this stuff. Like you, your brand is either fast fashion where you keep it up the times all the time, which is a race, or you doing your own thing. I'm not. I'm gonna make a, a Mona Lisa, but I'm taking my time. Mm-hmm. I just want to print out on little cheap cardboard and just give everybody this one thing. But if I'm making these masterpieces, it's gonna take time. And you know, I think because fast fashion has become such a mainstay at this point, even if the, the quality is not there, yeah. one of the things that you hear about brands, and even when it goes to to specifically supporting Black brands, it's like, listen, I want to support the brand, but I'm not spending $90 on a pair of sweatpants or $60 on a sweatshirt. So um, what do you say to those detractors who are like, man, this these price points are outrageous? Well, it's funny. I probably wouldn't even talk to the consumer first. I probably talk to the person who's creating. And I always tell people, don't skip steps. Mm-hmm. Your consumer needs to grow with you, with your brand. I've done, I've come out and I know, like, I, I'm never going to sell a shirt less than $40. It's a Black Friday, you know, price cut, whatever. But I know that's what I want to be at. And no matter what, what I do is I kind of look at Ralph Lauren and it's like, he can sell something for $30 and he can sell something for $3,000. So I'm going to give you an option. All right, Mugsy, I don't want to spend more than $60. I got this shirt right here, $40. It's nice and calm, white with a logo here, blah, blah, blah. But I like that shirt. Yeah, that shirt is a buck twenty. The quality is through the roof. If you want that, you can get that, but you're going to have to pay for that. I still have something for you and I feel like you got to be able to, you got to be able to um, feed everyone. You know, everybody gets an option. Everybody gets a chance to support you. And the con- and that's just the person that's creating. The consumer now, it's like, you got to persuade them eventually. You just got to hold it out. It's a, it's, it's a little tougher because like when I first came out, everybody was making $20 shirts and I was doing $50, $65 shirts. And I had to sit there with it because it's like, you know, why are your so expensive? But you don't, the consumer don't know that the quality and this process is more expensive than just printing on one color or a logo on the front. Mm-hmm. So eventually you got to find a way to show them and teach them. Maybe even a video of how it was created or a photo shoot that doesn't just focus on just the picture of the person, but actually gets into the details and shows the fabrics and the double stitching and all of that. And I feel like that's the way, you, that's the best way. And then you got to honestly just not compromise because you never get rich surrounded by broke customers. Don't get, you know, know your value and add tax. Don't put no discount on it. That's really what it comes down to after a while. And just to go back to Dapper Dan, you know, reading that book about where he was 
pricing his stuff. Now, granted, he had a very specific demographic, but it was his demographic and they were willing to pay it. And there's a segment of the population that also just likes some form of exclusivity. Me personally, also, I'm somebody who reads the label on clothes. Like, I want to know what is this made out of? Yes, like, I I need to know. And I'm the kind of person, if the label and the fabric's really not matching up with what you charge me on the price, then this doesn't make sense for me, but I'm willing to pay when that label reads in a way where it says, okay, this is going to last. This doesn't just look fly. It's built in a way that it's going to last. So your point about the process, I think people need to need to think about that. And also investing in our brands for quality as opposed to investing in, in ones that we do not own for sometimes what is less quality. And that's the other thing, like people buy things with a name on it not realizing that it's 100% polyester. But that's a different conversation for you. No, no, no. <laughs> I, we could go back right into because I live it. And I, I've always been the guy where I've seen somebody make something and I want to recreate it. And I'm like, you have to make that better than that person. And it'd be crazy. Like, I love Kanye West to the moon and back. And I remember his first fashion show, 2013, in the Madison Square Garden. I went and he had merch and his merch did amazing. And I went bought the stuff because of course it just it just time stamp it was important to me even some stuff i don't like i buy but i did i do like this stuff let me not be confusing so i got the shirts it was printed on gilding shirts and i looked at the price and i'm like this hoodie's 120 dollars and i looked at the tag i do clothes go on the internet boop. all right that hoodie costs 15 dollars blank all right that font or well, i found it oh they want $20 for the font, I bought it. Mm-hmm. I know the color of the print, my guy could do it. I could make, I could recreate these hoodies for $20 <laughs> easily. I'm like, wow. But then at the same time, I got to think about why did I buy it? The mm-hmm. name, he built, he built up his empire that I got to respect. He didn't change the tag inside. It still says gilded and everything. It's like, now it's more so who you are than what you create because people are buying the name. And I really do hate it because I hate it I hate it and love it because, you know, like right now for me, I could, I've, I've got to a point where I could sell certain things for a little bit higher because it's me. I built up. I deserve that. I, people, my loyal customers know that if I charge that price, it's quality coming with it. It's not going to be foo-foo. It's going to be, if Muggsy's charging 150 for a pair of shorts, that short is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. If it's $100, it's going to be amazing. I actually just dropped the hoodie yesterday for 120 and it sold out. And quality on it is amazing. And everybody that got it been saying that. And that's the story I want to have. When you see it, you feel it, you live with it. Now, the next time I drop something with 200, they're going to be like, wait a minute. That got to be, that got to make me fly. Literally, get wings and fly. So that's what it is. But like you said, I feel like it's going to take a long time. I've been about to make eight years. These companies and fashion houses have hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. We got just got to change the stigma. Like, we got to get behind something. And I actually, when I met that but then I kind of told him that, like, yo, you are one of the few people that people respect on that level. And would take the price point. I was like, you should have a fashion company. Right. That guy. Like, forget all the knockoff stuff. Now it's time to revisit all that stuff with your name on it. And you co-sign people and we can make it happen because you're respected and you're respected by those people as well. Like, you are the link right in between the bridge right there. So, mm-hmm. he looked at me. If you see the picture, he looked at me like, what is saying? Like, there's a picture where I'm like, yo. And he's like, like my energy was through the roof. So it was crazy. So speaking about putting your name on things, I think we're often inclined to support brands and not, are not necessarily household name yet, household names yet with clothing. But we struggle with that with like sneakers and stuff, right? Like 
people want the the Nikes. They want, you know, it, that this is who we are. The Yeezys, all of that. We know you've got into the shoe game as well. Do you think that that, have you found that that's a harder push? The sneaker, making a sneaker is the hardest thing I ever had to do, clothing-wise. Well. And it comes from selling it to someone to creating. And I'll go into more so of like selling someone, since that's what you were mentioning. Um, I feel like anybody would buy a t-shirt just to support. Anybody would buy a hat just to support socks. Pants a little bit more difficult, hoodies. But sneakers is like, it makes them break you. Like, you could have a great fit on and some pair shoes or some sketches. And it's, I don't care who how fly you are. I can't pull off those sketches. I can't pull it off. The quality could be amazing. It could feel great walking. I can't pull it off. I cannot. I'm not that cool to pull it off. When I pull that off, I got it. Mm. Kanye about to do something with Gap. He's going to pull it off. He has it. Because I remember, we can't walk in the Gap. Like, it don't matter. I have a jean jacket with Gap. I took all the tags out and customized it. But otherwise than that, I, my mom, we go in Gap. I'm standing by the front. Like, I'm not going to have my friends walking and see me here shopping with you. No. Maybe, oh, maybe I might get away in the same company. But Gap, no, I'm not doing it. It's crazy. So with the sneakers now, I feel like that's the root of me, like getting into the fashion. And most of my friends, that's where you build your outfit from. Get mm-hmm. the good feet, everything else matches. So for me to go into footwear was like, yo, I got to be able to create on such a level that it's undeniable. And the sneakers do great, but I still feel like if I put Balenciaga name on it or Gucci on it, it'd be top 10 immediately. Mm-hmm. But that's something you struggle with. But I feel like I've been building my own taste level thing. I've been building my own taste level because right before I dropped the shoe, um, my friend had me on the influence list of Foot Lock and Foot Action. I went to a couple of events and I was experimenting because I usually stay in the box of like Adidas, Nike, Jordan, Yeezys, whatever. I just started getting Pumas, Reeboks, Pierre Moss, a bunch of like New Balance. I started getting random sneakers just so I could build up my taste level besides just the obvious. And I'll post my Pumas and I made Pumas and everything and people like it. And I'm like, okay, if I could get you used to liking thinking Muggsy goes left and you like it, when I introduce my shoe, it won't be anything. If I just went from Jordans to my shoe, it'd be like, whoa, I don't know if I can hang with you. So I started just going left. Like I'm buying the random stuff, the stuff that you not even know the name of. And it was working and people were really messing with me on it. And I was like, wow, okay. And the energy just went right into when I did the shoe. And it was like, wow. And I had like close friends looking and they're like, this can make you a million dollars. If this person name was on it, it'd be the best shoe out. And that was it. And it did pretty well. It got a pretty good audience from certain people hitting me up, celebrities. I had Jim Jones DM me personally and ask for a pair. He met me, put me on his Instagram. I put him on mine. Um, I got his number. And then I waited thinking maybe he forgot about me. And then boom, it was on Drip Report on Revolt. And it was just like, wow. So, Which I... I think it speaks to, again, the quality of what you do. When yeah. you have folks at that level who have a platform who, who reach out and they're like, no, no, let me let me get that. It, it's when you have tastemakers yes. who are interested. Exactly. That's when you know that's what keeps you going for the eight years and the nine years is the passion. And it's the people who are known for being early adopters yes. who are reaching out. That's that's the motivation. It's gonna take a while for general population to get, catch up. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like that, and it's fine. Like I feel like that's fine. Uh, I won't I won't battle with it because I even look back. Like I look back at some of the people that are huge now. Like Jerry Lorenzo used to have shoes before he did anything with Nike, 
And now he's at Adidas. And the shoes didn't really do all that well. Like, they didn't sell out nothing. They were just there. And then even Virgil, Off-White, Off-White shoes were real easy to get. Nobody, I, I probably like, like, one style of the Off-White shoe, but it did regular. Then when he did his 10, Jordan, 10 Nikes and Jordans, it went instant classic. And, it like, make you think, like, sometimes it just gets getting that big company to just add on. And in my mind, it's like, you know what? I'm going to do what they did. I'm going to show what I can do by myself. Mm-hmm. So if ever someone wants to collab with me and I have that kind of name and push, I already got the whole, I already did the dirty work. Like, all right, he has his name. He knows his style. He knows his market. Boom. I could post a pair of Reebok in a weird colorway and people will put fire emojis on me. My picture, they're like, yo, that's nice. It's left. It's something you would do. I put on Pierre Moses and people look, is that your shoe? No, it's not. Oh, that look fire. So they accept that for me. So it's easy for me to just do it at a high level any day. And you you mentioned working in collections. Yeah. And so thinking about that process of building out new new collections, what is the creativity like for you? Is it just you have moments of inspiration? Are you more on like I'm in a focused product development phase now for the next the next line? How does it look? It's so funny. I actually don't design in collections anymore. I probably stopped doing that. Damn, 15 or maybe 15. I just kind of, I'm sporadic. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like if I tried to like, what I used to do is like, I used to make a collect, I used to have like two, three ideas and strong ideas. And then the rest of the, it's kind of like making an album. Like I have two hit singles and then everything else is album filler. And I like that because I'm not being honest. I'm just making stuff to fit into this mold. Like I have a collection, I had a collection called 27, basically based off the 27 Club, a bunch of musicians and artists who, who died at 27. And I had a couple of strong pieces, but the rest I kind of did for everything else just didn't live up to the, the standard. It's still one of my best collections to me. Good amount of those pieces stood, but everything else was kind of like filler. And I'm like, I'd rather just, if I got one good piece, if I came up with one good t-shirt idea for the whole summer, I'd rather that than, uh, uh, uh. Mm-hmm. I'd rather pull a Drake. Like, I'm going to just drop Hotline Bling and not drop an album until I'm ready. You know, that's it. That's how I see I feel it. you. I feel you. So you've been someone who has maintained some semblance of normalcy throughout the pandemic. You said you've been out, right? Been we've been We've been asking this question to everyone. So I'm going to have to remix it for you because we've been asking people like, now that we're going back and headed into normalcy, what's the first thing that you're going to do? But since you've been on a bit of a normal plan, I'll ask, is there something that you haven't been able to do that you look forward to doing now that the world is opening back up? Let's see. Um, I, I just, I really hate wearing masks. That's one. I'm not gonna lie. As much money as it made me love it, but I really hate, like it always forget. And my mall, it's just beginning because my mall, the mall just said we don't have to wear masks in common areas. Mm-hmm. Great. But um, that, and actually like traveling overseas, I've been to Jamaica but like overseas, Europe and stuff, I, like that's normally where my destination goes and I haven't been able to do that. That's probably like the only thing I could say. Like as of right now, I've been probably up to the time with everything else. Everything else has been pretty smooth for me. I've been able to do whatever I want for the most part. That's just really- Well, listen, I'm, I'm excited to know that you've survived. Uh, you, you've pivoted. You have gotten- and an immeasurable amount of shine <laughs> over the course of this process, which is amazing to hear. I'm looking forward to see what you continue to drop and tell the folks where they can find you online. Um, CyberMcFly.com, Muggsy McFly on every social media platform, Simon McFly as well for most me, um, social media. 
And I mean, just Google me. For the most part, it will come up somehow, some way, some way to find me. I'm an open book. Write me. I answer. And I feel like I might need, well, it's getting hot, but I feel like I need sweatpants because I can't fit anything else. Oh, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, you know what to do. If you've enjoyed this episode, like, share, comment, tell somebody about it, subscribe to the show. Amen. Check out the work that Muggsy is doing, his line, his store. If you are in New York, tell them where your store is, Cloud Control. Mom, Cloud Control is in the Gallery Mall, um, 100 Main Street, White Plains, New York. And look out, you will sneak peek. And maybe, maybe by the time this opens, Simon McFly will have his own standalone location. Okay. In the Bronx. Wait on it. All right. So that's coming. We support our own here. You know, the 26er community, we are about putting dollars back into the guests that come on this show. So if you're interested, check Muggsy out online or in his retail location or the retail location to come. And as always, you know what to do. Remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 